Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Completely Inclusive Podcast. I'm Kelly Braun Johnson. I'm the founder and consultant here at Completely Inclusive, which is a Montreal-based consultancy based on teaching other companies how to make their workplace cultures completely accessible and inclusive to diverse people. So today, I want to talk a bit about my personal experience. Uh, One of the major questions I get asked all the time is when I tell people uh, I'm autistic and they don't really know me, they go, well, how how does it affect you? Because I don't see it. Uh, So I would say that in general, the reason probably people don't see it right away is because their ideas or their understanding of what autism is uh, and how it affects people and especially how autism presents in females. They're just not used to it. That's not something that's really, really well known. And in fact, a lot of women are missed. We miss diagnosis uh, because even psychologists aren't really trained to look for the subtle differences in how women present with autism. And in my case, especially, um, I was not diagnosed until I was an adult. I was 32 and I got diagnosed. So I've lived with quite a large part of my life without knowing. Uh, so I spent most of my time having to mask what they call masking is when we kind of we're hiding in plain sight. We're, we're adapting to the behaviors of other people so that we can be accepted and not be bullied. So my childhood experience was one of being bullied, of being ignored, um, and not having many friends, not being understood. Uh, and that's by both students, other students, classmates, and teachers. And I think um, because of that, then I had to learn a lot of different coping mechanisms, and I couldn't really truly be myself. I had to... Uh, I had to pretend to be more social than I was or wanted to be. And that comes at a great cost uh, emotionally and mentally because it's so tiring to basically suppress the natural way that you are and put on this constant act um, and try to be normal, try to look and appear and act normal uh, so that people don't make fun of you or harass you, or you become a victim, uh, and, and it basically accepts you. Um, so it's, it's very, it's a very difficult way to live. It comes, like I said, it comes at a great cost. So that causes a lot of anxiety. It causes depression. Uh, it it kills your self-esteem and your self-confidence because you don't really know who you are anymore. So when people say, oh, you know, what was getting a diagnosis like for you was that, you know, were you sad? Were you upset? Is, is it what you were expecting? And in my case, uh, it was a relief because it meant that I didn't have to keep up this charade, uh, anymore. And the way that I felt, um, the way that I felt about myself and my identity, I realized that it wasn't wrong because up until then I thought that if I wasn't fitting in, If I didn't have the same amount of energy that other people had, if I couldn't pick up on certain things uh, as easily as other people, then there was something wrong with me. I must be broken. And getting a diagnosis was able to relieve me of that and realize that I'm not broken. I'm not 
I'm not wrong. It's just different. I have a different way of operating. I have a different way of seeing the world. I have a different way of being in the world. And, um, and that's not a, that's not a, that's not a problem. And it shouldn't be a problem uh, as long as you have societal acceptance of difference. So that's a lot of how, uh, and why it's my big why of why I'm doing this work, why I'm working so hard on inclusion, um, is basically because I want people to be accepted for being who they are. It's not just an issue of being weird or being quirky or being kind of mm, socially different. Uh, it's really more than that. It's deeper than that. And in my case, so if going back again to the question of how does it present in me and, and I guess what, what would people know to look for if that's something that you wanted to do? Um, I have a very quick wit I, I do sarcasm. I, I've stopped doing a lot of sarcastic remarks because I find that's not really, um, it's just not a positive way to be. It's not the way that I want to live with integrity. So I tend not to, but uh, I do get sarcasm. I do get these things. Um, but there are times where they go over my head. There are times when those kind of things, when I, when I do miss it. So I think that can be very difficult for other people to understand or relate to because they're like, well, she got it last time. Why is she not getting it this time? And that's, I think, a big issue with with autism uh, and probably with any disability almost. We have good days. We have bad days. We have days where um, things just don't add up. And, and I think it's very confusing for people because they say, well, look, you know, she did this great the other time or she's super intelligent. So how could she have made such a giant gaffe or such a giant mistake like where did this faux pas come from and so because of that because we have our off days because we have our our times when we just miss things uh, or or whatever we might be more overwhelmed one day or over another um people then think that when we do screw up if we are snappy if we've said something out of place uh if we look like we're overwhelmed and, and annoyed with the world people take it personally and they feel that we're doing something on purpose that we must be angry at them um, for that to happen and that's really not the case and a lot of the big what I stress on when I make my presentations is to please please give us this grace um, because in general when we get it wrong especially when autistic people get it wrong the first pe thing people think is we're doing it on purpose and that we're, we're being mean. And that's really not the case. We're really, um, and, and I, I don't, I can't speak for everybody because there are going to be moments where there are some people who are just plain mean. That's, that's a whole different thing. But if you see something that's like really out of character for us, then rather than jumping to the worst case scenario, try to seek some clarity and I understand that asking for clarity puts you in a very vulnerable space but I feel that it's so important to do that because your other option is then to believe a whole bunch of things that are not right or not correct about that person and then cut them off and lose a potentially uh, good friendship or relationship simply because of a of a one-time misunderstanding so if you see that we've got our, our you could call it the i guess resting uh resting uh, annoyed face 
I don't want to, I don't want to say the, the other words. Um, if sometimes it's when I'm deep in thought, I'm just concentrating really hard and I look super tired or I look super angry. Um, rather than taking it personally, like I don't, you know, people will seem, oh, well, she doesn't want to be here. She must hate her job or she, uh, just doesn't like people. or She doesn't want to talk to anybody when really it could just be that my mind is in a whole different place. Come and ask and say, Hey, is everything all right? Uh, can I get you a glass of water? Is everything cool? You know, and I could be like, Oh, you know what, dude, I was just doing quantum physics in my head, you know, <laughs> and it's kind of an exaggeration, but I mean, our wheels are often always turning. So again, when it comes to how we present, I mean, yeah, we, we look like everybody else. We autistic people don't have a sign over our heads that say autism. Um, but it could be things like that where we're kind of seem kind of spacey and we can be super productive and focused at other times and to the point where we forget to eat, we forget to go to the bathroom, we don't sleep. Um, and we can go into those kind of spaces where we're super focused and productive. And then we can have other times where executive function just floors us and we can't do anything. And what can happen is if we don't regulate ourselves, we can go into complete burnout or shutdown or meltdown. And I also want to really clarify that if you see like a violent outburst, if you see like a meltdown, a person is either they want to run and hide or they're crying. It seems like an emotionally uh, drastic reaction, like a drama filled reaction compared to what the situation is at that point. It's not violence directed at other people. Even if, let's say, you see them hitting themselves or you see them hitting a desk or kicking something or running away, they're not a threat to other people in that moment. Meltdowns are really violence turned inward. At that moment, you are so overwhelmed and you literally hate yourself. And I can tell you that the feeling if there was a way for me to describe this feeling, um, for me, it feels like there's like ants or worms crawling all over the inside of my body. It's an extremely agitated, uh, disgusting feeling. Um, and I feel everything at once. It's like every emotion that needed to come out is trying to come out at the same time. And it doesn't know which one should come out first. I feel like crying, but I can't cry. I feel panicked. Um, a lot of times I feel sick. I'll, I'll get a migraine. I'll feel like vomiting. Sometimes I'll even gag, but nothing actually happens. And the only way for me to get over it is really to go and hide somewhere dark until it passes. And that's like a really extreme, um, an extreme sort of shutdown. Uh, at this point in my life now, I know if it's building, if I'm getting close, I know that I can take time. I can take a breather. I can take a sensory break. I can usually remove myself from the situation. Uh, but as children, you know, we're not able to do that. It's very hard to communicate what's happening when you feel like that. And as children, you just don't have the control, uh, or the independence to be able to say, you know, I need to get out of here. Um, so that's, I think why you'll see a lot of, uh, autistic meltdowns in public with children. Uh, and again, when it comes to adults, um, rather than, you know, falling to the floor and, and uh, having a, what looks like a horrible tantrum, 
uh, that changes to a very deep anxiety um, and fear and feeling of self-loathing, basically, because it's also embarrassing. So we want to remove ourselves from the situation, and, and most of the time we're, we're able to, luckily. Um, but again, back to, I guess, how it affects me on a, on a daily life level. I'd say in some ways it's hard to compare because I've, I don't know any other way of living, but here's what I believe. So I believe that I lack filters that other people have, that neurotypical people have. Um, and so because I can't filter out a lot of the sensory um, input that most neurotypical people do, it takes a lot more work for me to then self-regulate. So what I learned really, like I'd say in the last year or so, I was totally surprised by this. Let's say we're at a coffee shop and I'm talking to you at a coffee shop. So what I learned from talking to neurotypical people is that you are able to filter out all the other extra information that's going on in that coffee shop and just concentrate on the one person in front of you and that conversation. I don't seem to have that ability, so I am simultaneously always hearing other people's conversations around me, people walking in and out. I'm going to take notice of them. Uh, you might see my eyes moving because I've been following where the sounds are coming from, where the sensory, you know, inputs coming from. I hear, you know, the baristas talking. I hear the coffee being made. I hear the machines going and whirling and the and all those noises. I hear other people's dishes clanging. I hear the footsteps. I hear everything. And then in addition to all those, I am feeling the level of, you know, lights, either sunlight or, or artificial light coming in. I can't filter that out. Um, temperature, I'm getting hot, I'm getting cold, I'm getting whatever you know, is in the environment. You know, every time the door swings open, then it's a different temperature change again. Um, I'm getting all of that. And then at the same time, I have to concentrate on the person I'm speaking to and follow a conversation. And that's a lot of energy. And it's not a bad thing. I mean, I do like socializing, but in general, um, I can concentrate with two, three people max, usually in a group. And then after that, I max out and everything just starts to blend together and sound like a foreign language to me. Um, so if you see me in a group and I'm kind of spaced out or I don't seem to be, you know, really, um, really paying attention, it's because all these other things are taking my attention and taking my energy um, and my focus away. So I guess there's that. So I covered, you know, the inconsistency in terms of um, it can be work production or productivity in general. It can be the inconsistency in my focus and my mood or how I appear. So if I'm already distracted by something else, I'm not going to be quite as engaging and outgoing with people as I was the day before, let's say. Um, and I still do have a certain amount of extroverted personality. I'm able to go up and make presentations. I, I, I love to go and network, but if you ever watch me at a networking event and you can see this, I'm like, I'm a LinkedIn local host, so I have to be there. I have to be on. You'll notice that towards the end of the evening, I'm extremely tired. I'm much more tired than other people. And 
I do need to kind of go off and sit by myself for a bit um, and and try to recharge and self-regulate so that I can finish the night. Um, and then even after that, recovering from that, I'm going to be in a recovery mode for a day or two after uh, to come down off of that energy, that high energy and everything that I have taken in and everything I have expended, you know. Um, I'd say that a lot of autistic people are in a anxious state a lot of the time, but hide it very well. Again, that takes energy. Um, but you can sometimes see the signs of people being anxious. I think people that have suffered from anxiety are able to see it easily easier in others. Um, that could be hand fidgeting, um, any sort of ticks, repetitive movements that we might have. I know I, I play with my eyelashes. I wipe my eyes a lot. I, I use my hands a lot. I, I bite my nails. Um, but now at, at this point in my life, I'm okay with using fidgets in public. I, um, when I used to work in an office, I had my desk set up with a bunch of little squishy toys and different things, uh, that, that I could use to help reduce my stress. Um, so I try to keep those socially accepted kind of things. Um, some of us might be wearing earplugs, uh, ear defenders, um, and I want to give a shout out to Vibes. Vibes are like a really great set of earplugs that cost about 35 bucks on Amazon. And um, they cut out a fair bit of ambient sound or lou louder sounds, but allow you to still hear conversation. That's really important. So it allows us to function in a day-to-day -day environment uh, without being totally blocked out. Um but yeah, some of us will listen to music to stim. Again, it's a socially accepted sort of way for us to decompress uh, and not look autistic. So there are different ways that we kind of get around it so that we don't stick out too much because it's dangerous to stick out, especially as a woman. It puts you in a vulnerable state. Um, and a lot of us can also be kind of socially naive. We can be, um, it depends on when we got diagnosed as well, but some of us we might be naive because certain things have not been explicitly explained to us. Um, or we're naive because uh, we've been sheltered, because our parents have protected us. If we had a diagnosis as a child, we, our parents have sh kind of sheltered us to try to keep us away from danger. Um, but at some point, we need to be taught these things. We need to be taught street smarts, and we need to be taught about abuse. We need to be taught about consent. Um, both ways, not just for ourselves, but for us engaging in um, any sort of relationship with people. Uh, we need to be taught personal space. Some of us have really loose concept of personal space and will go, you know, into yours and others need a very large bubble. Um, some of us want to be touched. Some of us don't want to be touched and all these things. Um, can, can simultaneously make us seem like other people and, and also be kind of a bit of a, uh, an indicator that we're not like other people. So it's using all those kind of signs together, getting to know the person. It can be how you can notice that we're, uh, that we're autistic, but also that we're struggling, that we're having challenges on a day-to-day -day basis. So again, my unpredictable energy levels, my unpredictable focus, you know, levels, depending on how my brain are, is each day 
is going to make a difference. Other things, other ex external factors that have happened, um, you know, if something stressful has happened, if my car broke down, that's going to change my outlook for the day. Uh, again, changes, transitions can also cause a lot of issues. So there's a lot of things that we're masking and are hiding and we're just trying to deal with and cope with. And some of us are more open about that than others. But even if you don't see it yourself, it doesn't mean it's not there. And I, I hope that I am able to describe that in a way that makes sense for neurotypical people to try and get a sense of the kind of challenges that we uh, experience every single day and how sometimes it can feel like a battle just to get through the day over and above what would be a regular day for a neurotypical person. So I hope that answers that question. If you have any more questions, uh, again, you can ask me about autism, you can ask me about sensory overload, you can ask me about uh, being hard of hearing. Um, those are all things that I've, you know, that I live with and experience. You can always send a question to podcast at compinclude.ca. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at C-O-M-P-I-N-C-L-U-S dot C-A. Uh, you can message me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook. There's a completely inclusive Facebook page. There's a LinkedIn page. Um, the only place I'm really not is Twitter. Um, that just took too much energy for me. I'm also on Instagram, kbronjohn. So follow me at all these different places. You can find me. I'm not hard to find. Don't worry. And feel free to ask me anything. I'm an open book. So thanks for listening. Again, this is a completely inclusive podcast. And your host is Kelly Braun Johnson, the founder and consultant at Completely Inclusive. Bye.